hello again. Thank you for coming. This is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast and I'm Helen Perry, your host. I'm a creative doing marketing online and this show is for you if you're out there sharing your work as well. Pursuing your passion project, the thing you are most interested in, getting to do work you've always wanted to do and not answering to a boss can feel like a dream, but can also, I've observed and almost experienced myself, turn into a nightmare. This week, we're talking about burnout and how to avoid it. There's events I want to run, there's podcasts I want to do, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, what's the rush? And, you know, when I when I spoke to my therapist to help me with overcoming my burnout, you know, she said to me, you got to the top of your mountain and you realised what you wanted wasn't there. What I've learned from my sort of first career in tech or my second career, should we call it, was that I just rushed to get there. I rushed, everything was rush, rush, rush. And I realised, again, it's so cliche, but like when you get to the end, you don't get some special like white light. It's, it's just like, well, that's over now. Anish Hallan is a burnout prevention expert who draws on his experiences of repeatedly finding himself unwell because of overwork to help others find a much better work-life balance. In 2019, the World Health Organization recognized burnout as a syndrome resulting from workplace stress that's characterized by feelings of exhaustion, negative thoughts about your job and a sense of lack of accomplishment. It's often associated with offices and high flyers, but I see, and you'll have noticed this too, that it equally affects creatives trying to do and be all the things. Feeling they need to feed multiple social media platforms and grow big audiences, start a shop, run events, write a book and have a successful podcast. We attach these things to our self-worth and can end up using every spare part of the day in order to achieve them. So I talked to Anish about this, about relaunching and rebranding yourself, which he's done post-burnout, about working with corporates. Keep listening if you're interested in making money that way. And I began by asking him about how people who work for themselves can set better boundaries. Because you don't have boundaries when you're essentially, you know, working for yourself, you know, you can always just slip into the study. You can always, you know, check the emails you might have on your phone. You have to artificially place those, put those in place. Otherwise, you will slowly slip into overwork, into, you know, not putting holidays into your calendar, not having a break when you know you're overworking. Like those things um, will naturally happen if we don't artificially um, plan for them. Um, so I think it is super important for any solopreneur or freelancer to understand that you almost need to like, I think I do it every month. I like have a, almost like a management meeting with myself where I look at like, I call it, I call it quite cheesily mix up, look sharp. And it's a bit like, right. I look, I look at my life. It's like, okay, am I, how's my sort of well-being doing? How's, am I, have I spent enough time outdoors? Like, am I doing things that are, you know, helping me be creative? Like, you know, I try to think of it as like a holistic whole basically. And often we think of work just being like, you know, do, 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 but what you see and what I've experienced over time is that if you constantly keep doing and don't think about resting and balancing, you're not going to be there for the marathon. You're only going to be there for the sprint. And, and like I said, the, the bottom line is this is something you have to manage. 
And you've learned this from bitter experience, I guess, Anish. Talk us through your career story. You have said to me that by the time you were 30, you were flying. You were on the path to achieve everything everybody in their early 30s thinks they need by the time they get there. What was your life like then? Yeah, so I think that's a great way of putting it. Like, I always call it like the tick boxes. So it was like, I had the job, you know, um, for example, I was a pro- like a product manager at Facebook, um, you know, and being like a tech geek, it was sort of my, you know, from from Birmingham, like to be working in London and Silicon Valley was pretty cool. Um, I had the status in that sense, like, you know, everywhere I went, people, my family, my friends were like, you know, what's it like? The money was obviously there. I bought myself a flat. And I was also, um, you know, I was getting married as well. So I was like, yep, you know, these things are all, all, all boxes ticked. Um, I would happily work some of the weekend and actually not find it um, too exhausting. I wouldn't like feel like I was burnt out after a month or anything. It was like I'd found something I was interested in. And therefore it was like a real, you know, a fire basically that I wanted to keep stoking. Um, so I would, I would say I was quite obsessed with work in my early 20s. And given that like up until the age of 22, I never really felt like I was interested in anything I've learned. I'd finally found something that I was mega passionate about and I was wanted to run, run, run. And, I, and again, because I actually started by doing my own startup, I never had someone on the side saying to me like, just just manage that a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like make sure you are, you know, reflecting on your time you're spending doing this, reflecting on how efficient you're being, et cetera. For me, it was just like any hour of the day that I can dedicate to work, I'm going to dedicate to work. And the world of work and society in general rewards people for overworking. You know what I mean? It's not like if you drink alcohol, no one rewards you for drinking too much alcohol or smoking too much. But in the world of work and the world of so- in our society in general does praise you because they're like, you know, you're, you're going to get a promotion or you're going to another company wants to hire you, etc. So, yeah, I was I was that classic obsessive workaholic. But there reached a time when that wasn't that stopped working or not that it stopped working because it was working. But you your body stopped you from doing it anymore is that an accurate way to describe burnout for you that that's an absolutely like perfect way of of putting it because I always say the hardest thing about burnout and when I was really in in the depths of it in the darkest places with it was that my mind wanted to do something my mind was perfectly ready to like oh I want to start working on x but my whole physiological system was like, no way, you're not doing that whatsoever. Like, you know, and when you have that mismatch, you know, like, you know, if you want to go and get a coffee now, you might just go and walk down the street and get a coffee. Like for me, I physically couldn't do those things. And that's when it like the mental health problems start happening because you're like, you know, why can't I do it? So yeah, it was, it was the, you know, at the age, that age around 30, where my body basically caught up with me and said, right, I'm, I'm you know, I'm done with this now. I'm not having you push me so hard. When did it reach a point where, and I assume it did, a point where you just couldn't work anymore? Did that happen? Yes, and it, and it actually happened multiple times. Like I say, like I burnt out probably three times in four years. The first time I realised like it was too much and it's quite tragic really that what happened to me and it's almost like, you know, it's still, it still like makes me a little bit emotional when I talk about it. But like I'm quite a fit and healthy person and before then I was like, I'd run a 10K in my lunch break. Like I was happy to do those sort of things. I love playing football, all that sort of stuff. And um, 
I was going to my wedding interview <clears throat> with my wife and we were a bit late. So we started running on Hammersmith Bridge and I just collapsed and blacked out. Basically, I remember like falling to the floor and then not waking up basically until well, someone was looking over me. And um, I got up and I felt very, very disorientated. But I, had, I still had that, you know, this is embarrassing, but I still had that mentality, like get to that interview. You've got to get there. I don't want to like not get married next month. Um, and then I went to hospital um, the next day, or doctors next day. And it's the words you don't want to hear. They said to me, like, you need to stay behind, basically. We need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, no. And they said, look, you've got basically a heart condition, a permanent chronic heart condition that we tend to see in 70-year-old or 75-year-old smoking, drinking men. And my heart just sunk. I was just like, what? They're like, yeah, you've, you know, you've, you've got this heart condition, and um, at that point, that was when it really, you know, it's so sad to say, but that was what took me to realise, like, this is enough now. <laughs> I had to go into this deep discovery, this self-healing, but also this self-discovery about, you know, why did I burn out? And it's not just to do with the things that are like, oh, not resting enough, not sleeping enough, overworking. All of that was far too simplistic. Like I tried different managers. I tried different workplaces. I, I tried a job that was so low stress and it was still paying me well. But again, I was still burning out. And I was like, I've literally done everything at, at, in terms of work and it's not working. And that's when I had to go on, the, I, you know, I quit work because I actually had to take, you know, I took over a year off, um, which was very hard for me to do from a sort of like egotistical perspective. Um, and I basically said, like, I'm, you know, I'm giving up on my whole life in terms of what I was before, my identity before, and I'm going to rebuild. I'm just going to literally accept that I've burnt myself to the ground. And I'm now going to go into this sort of deep healing and like exploratory journey. How did you put that package of recovery together for yourself? Where did you find the information and what did you find worked for you? Because there is so little out there to help, in my opinion, when it comes to burnout. It's getting better now. I had to trust my into My intuition was my guide. And the first thing I actually started with doing was mindfulness and meditation, Um I'd always been someone who'd tried to do meditation and like done it for a month or two and sort of it worked and it didn't work. But I was still suffering from insomnia. So I was still waking up at 2 a.m. And then I thought to myself, you know what, rather than fighting it and getting upset and like anxious, I am now going to use the night for my like deep meditation training time because I can't do anything else. Like physically I was exhausted. So I, I used to leave my bedroom, go into the spare room, like lie a blanket on the floor. So I was just like completely flat on the floor and I'd either read books or I'd like listen to sort of things that would help me learn. And over time it was like, it became this like almost deep spiritual experience where I was like, the more and more I did it, the more and more I learned, I was learning to meditate and I was learning to actually like, the way I describe it was what the meditation was doing was like my head was like a pond full of mud and silt and stones and it was just swirling around. And during those like deep practicing, you know, through the night, I was slowly letting the pond settle and it didn't, it didn't fix anything. It wasn't like, that's it. I've meditated. I'm good to go. But it, what it was, was like a clarity exercise. It was like, ah, oh, you know what? I can starting to see what's going wrong here. And more importantly, I'm starting to accept 
what's going on here because until that point I would still be checking LinkedIn and you know I'd get recruiters saying this this person wants to hire you like the salary's great you can even remote work it was so easy for me to just jump back into that world and that's why I kept burning out before but this time like I remember the emotional experience of, of reading a book um, from a monk who was talking about basically being present as he's dying and um you know getting to the point of like absolutely like nearly near death and for me given what had happened to me medically like it really allowed me to it was, it was the first time I really faced up to my mortality so I was actually saying to myself at that point you know what maybe I need to start thinking you know not I'm going I'm about to die but that I need to face up that I could die and like it's time now to sort of just let go and accept everything. So it was like, it was a very deep experience. That was the first stage really of a very, very deep experience. Once you'd reached that deeper uh, point of clarity, and I love, I love moments of clarity just are, are everything, aren't they? That deeper sense of, uh, you know, what's true for you, presumably you then thought, okay, so how do I build from here? And I guess maybe what uh, do you know what something I I kind of compare it to being a parent for the first time like you're like when am I going to get my life back when when am I going to when am I going to get my old life back when is this kid going to be big enough that I can have my old life back and then suddenly one day you're like oh it's never gonna I have to think about this as I have to open my heart to a new and different kind of life and it's only then really that you fully can enjoy being a parent as much as you always love that child but you just need to accept the fact that life is going to be different. Was that perhaps a similar thing that you were going through? Like you had to look at a different life now. Yes, entirely. And again, you you know, you, it's such a great question, Helen. I think um, <clears throat> we as human beings, especially in Western society, are terrible at, at accepting change. You know, we think about like all of our, you know, the adver- I mean, advertising things and social media doesn't help because everything's about, you know, having flawless skin, like, you know, growing your hair back or like you know all these sort of things but the way I think about it is like you have to constantly accept that you you are always changing and like the me of three years ago is not the same as me now and like the the stress comes in when you keep resisting that change totally agree with you because I'm also a parent as well like you know, you do think today's are like, you know, those lions, those days when you can get up at like 8, 8 a.m. and then you'd be like, you know what, should we just watch TV in bed or something like that? Like, they, when will that come back? And then, you, then you're just suddenly like, you know what, like I literally, the majority of time, especially when I've slept well, I love going in to see my son and then like, you know, before he goes to school playing tents with him in his room. And it's like, that's my life now. And actually, whilst the old stuff, you know, I'm sure I'd still pine for it. This is this is to like this is your life to be take like to be had now and it's and if you embrace it it's beautiful and don't get me wrong it's challenging and stressful but it's also like a new wonderful leaf to take everywhere we look around us we go through seasons plants grow and die like why do we as humans think we're immune to that i know we're desperately trying to desperately trying to resist them all the time aren't we i could talk about aging in the same way as well but anyway um i had written down to ask you anish why have you decided to turn this into your job and i think anybody who will have listened to you talk about um the topic with such passion and now such uh, such a lot of understanding and knowledge i don't need to ask that question like why did you want to make this your job you obviously feel a calling now to go out and 
talk to people about this, yeah? Entirely. And I think the, the bit that's missing with burnout is like everyone talks about workplace burnout, occupational burnout. So we're talking like your relationship with work and that can be as in a company or as a solopreneur. But the one thing when we're not talking about is like the role um, the rest of our life plays into it. And what I mean by that is the like, you know, what's going on in your family life? Like, what are your goals? What, you know, what's the actual living environment you're living in? There's so many factors to burnout that we just um, ignore. We tend to just compartmentalize it and say, oh, I've got a manager who's, you know, really bad or I'm overworked at work. And I think for me, what I've realized is, is that I want to open up this conversation and explain it so people can actually start to say, rather than, hmm, I'm actually burning out because my manager's X or Y, they're actually more self-aware to say, yeah, you know what? I actually am going through quite a tough time at work, but also like looking at my own personal life, like I'm not really living in a place that's susceptible for me to rest and to feel like, you know, or to do the things that I enjoy. Do you know what I mean? So the the bit that I'm really passionate about is like, but don't get me wrong, it's trying to prevent burnout, but it's going a level higher than that and saying we need to think about our relationship with work. And we we just don't do that. And we don't think about like, you know, on a day-to-day basis, the only things we consider are like, what salary am I getting? Like how much time off am I going to get? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But we need to think like, what what deep down is like what goals do I have like what do I actually want to do that's gonna you know give me energy do you know what I mean and I suppose in the solopreneur world we're lucky that most of us are doing things that we care about so that's like like a big tick where it might not be for corporate people But but it can get away from that you know and you you might find this rings true as well like when you do make something you love your job or when you do start to pursue something that you might find more creatively or philosophically satisfying sometimes you turn it into your job and all of a sudden elements start to creep in that you don't enjoy again or you start to put an awful lot of pressure on the financial reward that's coming back to you or whatever it can be really really hard to to juggle I think entirely and I think um I suppose with with myself, I think there is a there's one part of my brain which is just like like crank, put it into put the car into fifth gear, put your foot down and and like do it. Do you know what I mean? Like I can see my path and where this can go. Yeah, there's a market for it. There's nobody else talking about it. You know, there's there's, exactly there's events I want to run. There's podcasts I want to do. But at the same time, I'm like you know, what's the rush? And, you know, when I, when I spoke to my therapist, when I had therapy to help me with overcoming my burnout, you know, she said to me, you got to the top of your mountain and you realize what you wanted wasn't there. And I think what I've learned from my sort of first career in tech or my second career, should we call it, was that I just rushed to get there. I rushed, everything was rush, rush, rush. And I realized, again, it's so cliche, but like, when you get to the end, you don't get some special like white light. It's, it's just like, well, that's over now. And what I'm trying to do now is to be, is to manage that energy and be like, do you know what? I could work this weekend, but actually I want to try and turn some pallets I found on the street into planters. Um, Cause it'd be nice for my son to like, you know, grow some food together. It'd be nice. And I turn up on a Monday morning and I feel like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to work. I can't wait to work rather than like, Oh, this my, my yeah, my energy's a little bit like wavering, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's it's a really thing it's a really hard thing to balance, especially for solopreneurs. I think it's really I think you have to be incredibly mindful of it and remind yourself 
all the time. Otherwise, the default position is do a bit more work. Am I being a bit lazy if I don't do that? I could do it on Sunday morning. I could send an email, you know, whatever. It, it takes a lot of discipline, actually. I think especially when you you love what you're doing. So how? when was the moment you, when you were like, I'm going to go back to work, but I'm going to actually make burnout prevention my work? And how did you decide that that was going to work that was how was that going to look so I think um I think as I alluded to before like I kept going back into what I was doing before and burning out and it was at that point where I was like I just don't like it really it's this strange world where like I've got this lucrative job that I've built like a 10 year to 13 year career in it and like you I'm basically trying to tell myself that I'm going to put that on the shelf like do you know how ludicrous that sounds like to start again from the bottom but I came across a book actually, and it's not a type of book that's sort of flashy, likely to be on the front page of Waterstones or anything like that. It was, I can't remember how I came across it, but it was called The Joy of Burnout. And I think I was struck by the title. And when I read it, I remember like, it was a, like, again, a spine tingling moment where I was like, oh, this person is talking my language. Because it was the first time someone said to me, you could be burning out because your, your passion or your interest has changed. And it sounds simple, but it was the confidence then to say, I'm changing direction. Like I'm leaving my product management career behind and I'm now going to turn. And it, that was the point there when I read that book that I was, you know, and I was sufficiently healthy by that point. Like I'd, I'd been through therapy. I'd like, you know, got I'd, my sort of fatigue and my chronic fatigue had gone. Um, it was a point when I was ready to start doing something again. And um, that book basically was the like the final jigsaw piece to be like, I'm going to do this. Did you feel any like self-consciousness around rebranding yourself on LinkedIn to your friends and family? Or did you were, you, were you so comfortable with your decision by then that you, that you were cool about it? No, there's definitely sort of um, fear. I think first and foremost, it's like, what happens if it, you know, everyone thinks it, what happens if it goes wrong? And it's like, I'm about to then rebrand myself. And then what do I do? Rebrand myself again. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's almost like um, there is only, you know, if I do this, I'm all in basically. So I think I did wait a while and just let it sort of boil. Um, but I think it was, I, I got, I really got into making videos um, last summer, especially on mindfulness. I think it was like a nice bit of uh, playing with making my own video content. And um I think it meant that actually when it came to announcing it, I thought I'd just do a little video on what I'm doing and, what, and you know, my, my background. Only like 40 seconds. And um, the response I got to it was just incredible. And I think I didn't even like share, overshare. I wasn't like being very vulnerable. I just said like I burned to how I was working for Facebook. It was my dream job. And I like had to rebuild myself. So it was very like very high level. And I couldn't believe the response I got. I did feel fear. But I knew that there was only one route to take. I'm never going to go back into that world again because that's just not who I am anymore. So what's work like for you now? You are working mostly with corporates. Is that right? How do they find you? How do you find them? How are you How are you making this a business? Yeah, so I tend to work with like the range of like small startups as small as like 20 people all the way to like corporate size, basically. Um, and... I suppose I'm fortunate that having worked in the tech world, I had an existing network of people, um, 
people, I'm going to say people, people, people who work in um, like heads of people, et cetera, people teams who I could basically just say, look, you know, and, and they were aware of my situation. They'd been there through the burnout because they'd, you know, a lot of these people were the people I, talk, I was talking to when I was burning out. So um, I just began to use my network, which is very, you know, I was very, very fortunate that I'd built this network up for 10 15 years that I was then able to sort of start by going that way. Um, but I think like, you know, if I know I'm, not everyone's going to have a network like that, but I think given the way the market is at the moment for this stuff, um, like I, I actually haven't even bothered doing any outbound yet. I haven't started like, you know, any LinkedIn ads or any, even making lots of content yet because I'm solely relying on, and I'm solely getting enough business at the moment from yeah. network. Yeah, I think it's an overlooked area, the the, the opportunity with corporates for uh, all, all manner of kind of like well-being products and expertise. Um, a lot of them have budget for it. They are open to it. Is that what you're finding? Exactly. And I think the the hardest bit is, is people know they need it. It's just being able to get into that conversation. It's being able to like, you know, if you think about it, um, like physically, it's like being able to grab a coffee with that person to say like, this is what I'm offering. Yes. And they're more likely to say yes. But you, you think about everyone at work. It's like, I'm too busy to think about that. I'm too busy. Like I can't have a meeting now. So the, the hardest thing with the corporate game, in my opinion, is just finding the right person in the organization to give you that in and it might not be the ceo it might not be the founder it could be a people person it could be someone who actually who's suffering from burnout or seen it in their wider team and the most important thing is to try to think like who can i network with who can i talk to like to get in front of them so that something in their head clicks and they think hmm I should introduce this person to this person. And that's what happens. You know what I mean? It's always like, oh, I really like what you're doing. And I know like a friend of mine's really suffering at work with this. And like, they'd love to bring you in. That's what tends to happen. Um, it happens organically like that, really. And are they, are you presenting them with the, the kind of the solution? Like, I am going to come and bring you this. You don't even have to think about how it's going to, how, how the offer is going to look. I've got, I've got a workshop or I've got a presentation or I can be on this panel or are you coming to them with, fast solutions for how how you how you speak to their people so i think i try to be very careful here because in, in in my old job as a like in in tech basically what i was trying to do my job was to work out what the right thing to build was so if you take an app or a pro or, or a piece of software like you know you have um a big budget and it's like what do you essentially um build now the cool thing about that is I learned a lot about user research. I learned about actually how to, you know, try not to inject bias into conversations. So I, I take a slightly different approach, which is that I don't sort of come in guns blazing. I'm this, I'm that. I tend to be like, look, this is what I went through. And like, I've been through quite an intense journey and learned a lot. Um, you seem to be suffering from this in your org. Can you talk to me a little bit about what's going on? That's where I start. Because ultimately... Number one, people want to talk about what's going on. No one likes just to be talked at, except for you <laughs> in, this, in this position. Um, That's my job in this yeah, moment. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, but I see where you're coming from because um, it feels collaborative uh, and like the solution is you're also not presenting to them as if you've got a problem, you, you know, it's more like, okay, how can, how can we work together on exactly. this? Exactly. And it's, it's the empathy yeah. side again. It's the listening. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone overlooks 
the simple things like, you know, just listening to someone and asking them why and how and how's this come about and what are people going through? And then it's sort of like, that's really interesting, actually, because I've just taught a workshop on sustainable productivity, on self-compassion, on imposter syndrome. So you're, you don't even need to sell because you're like, I always say, like, I feel the fire. It's just like, ah, like I have to shut my mouth while they're talking because I want to like just be like, I've got a workshop for that. I've, I can help with this. And in a way, it's just like, listen to them and work together. And that's what's going to give you like a long lasting relationship rather than a sort of you know, one hit wonder. Mm, I can see how your, your product backgrounds help helping with this now. Um, and how do you hope the future looks now, Anish? Very good question again. And I think, um, like you said, when you burn out, you almost stop you almost don't want to say the A word, the ambition word, you know what I mean? You just want to be like, oh, no, like live every day in the moment. But the, I do have ambition, but I, I just, I'm not attached to it. You know what I mean? That's a difference. When you say you're not attached to it, you're like, you don't attach your self-worth to that ambition. Like if I don't achieve this, I will have failed somehow. Or this is when I'm going to be this type of person. Is that what you mean by I'm not attached to it? Exactly. Or, or, or it can change. Well, it's a mixture of both. Time. Yeah. It's a mixture of both. But, and, you know, I really like how you've explained that. But it's, it is the ego bit I'm talking about. Like you said, it's not like I don't envisage myself sort of like, well, I do do visualization, but that's a side point. But it's more about I'm not like, when this happens, everyone's going to think this of me. And like, I want to get here because of this. It's not like that. It's more like this, these things I, like, this can really go places because people need it. And I've got this experience and this creativity. This is what I'd love to do. And it's sort of like, I'll visualize about that, but I don't sort of worry about, I just, you know, focus on doing my day to day and don't worry about the sort of like how I get there. I sort of leave my visualization and my sort of trust in myself to get me there. But, um, you know, I do entirely, I do have sort of ambition of what I want to do with this because, um, like I want to change our relationship with work. So we're healthier, we're more purpose, we feel more purpose because I think it just makes it, makes us all happier. And, you know, that's a positive thing for society. And I think like on a more sort of individual level, I've always been someone who wanted to help people. Like it, it sounds crazy, but when I was burning out, I was working for a startup that was um, dealing with death and we were designing, um, redesigning how you write a will online, which is, you know, very, very commendable because so many people don't write wills and so much money just gets lost. And, you know, we'd raise millions of pounds of charity. <clears throat> but the nature of my personality... And, you know, I've managed this now and I'm more aware, self-aware of it. I was also volunteering on the side, mentoring um, um, a person who just left the care system um, on top of being a uh, head of product at a VC backed startup that was absorbing my energy on top of getting married and organizing a cross-cultural wedding on top of trying to help um, um, family members with that, some stuff that was going on. And I think... I've always tried to do good. And I think some sometimes I can get a little bit lost in that. Um, but the point I was trying to make was I'm now naturally doing something that's going to have a positive impact. And for that, I'm like so grateful because, you know, it isn't work for me. Do you know what I mean? It is like, it is joy that has to be managed. Thank you, Anish. That seems like a perfect place to finish. Thank you for the reminder not to attach ourselves to... Uh, uh, metrics of worth that don't make us feel joy I think that's what I'm going to take away from this conversation it was lovely to chat thank you for your time no, thank you for having me and, and I really enjoyed it 
How are you doing with all this stuff? I am much better than I used to be about making weekends weekends and evenings evenings and letting go of what I haven't achieved today. Trying to achieve less in a day, frankly. I hope this is going to make sense, but I was on a boat trip in Poole on Friday, lovely, and the skipper Dave, the skipper philosopher we'll call him, said, there will always be someone with a bigger boat. And if you can accept that, you'll be happy. There will always be someone with a bigger audience, a bigger business profile, always. Don't look for satisfaction in a place where it will never exist. The episode earlier in this series with Josephine Brooks is also great on the topic of burnout if it's something you're particularly interested in. Go and find it. I'll link to it in the show notes. And we'll be back next week with more. Let's call it sensible, wholesome and inspiring advice from excellent guests. Thank you always for listening. Bye for now.